Good evening. It's Saturday, January 16th, 2021. Today I'll be covering days 13 and 14 of the Bible reading plan from Focus on the Family and Adventures in Odyssey. I just moved back to Liberty University. I moved in yesterday, and so I didn't have quite a bit of time to uh, do this reading yesterday. So I'll be doing 13 and 14 today, and then hopefully 15 and 16 tomorrow. Uh, From two days ago, the verses were verses, let's see, 97 to 104 of Psalm 119 and Daniel chapters 1 and 2. Yesterday's verses were verses 105 to 112 of Psalm 119 and John chapters 7 and 8. Starting in the Psalms, verse 98 and from verses 97 to 104, uh, generally, talk about how the psalmist is wiser than those around him because he reveres God's word. Verses 98 through 100 read, and I'm using the New American Standard Bible now, Thy commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for my testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, because I have observed thy precepts. And these verses don't mean that the psalmist or that we should rejoice in being wiser than other people or that we should hold it over them. We shouldn't be proud of that in ourselves, in our own um in our own knowledge, but rather we should point to God and point to his commandments to say that because we trust in them, that is what makes us wiser. Not to say that we are better than others because the aged and the teachers, if they have rejected God's word, they have rejected truth and they have rejected wisdom. So we are wiser if we acknowledge God's truth, but we are not wiser in ourselves. It is God who gave us his word in the first place, and it is our job to follow that. We are exalting in God because we are wiser. So verse 105 says, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God guides our steps. And God wants us to do what he has ordained for us to do, and I'll talk about that in a little bit with Jesus. But with these verses through 105 to 112, are they're more of a, uh, a repetition of what has happened previously in the Psalms of, I rejoice in your word. Um, what is it? Verse 111 says, I've inherited thy testimonies forever, uh, for they are the joy of my heart. And then verse 112 says, I have inclined my heart to perform thy statutes forever, even to the end. Our commitment to God is forever because we will always trust in him and because he is eternal. The first two chapters of scripture, other than the Psalms today, are Daniel chapters 1 and 2. And the first chapter is the introduction of Daniel and Azariah, Mishael, what was the third one? Uh, And what's it? What? Hananiah, right. Uh, The ones who were renamed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, And the first chapter is about how Daniel and his friends will not eat the king's food because, verse 8 says, Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. And I'm not sure what the biblical interpretation is behind uh, this food, whether it was sacrificed to idols before or whether it was just unhealthy food. I might need to do some research into that. But Daniel trusted in God that he knew this food would defile him. So he asked for different food, vegetables, which would not have defiled him. And he and his three friends ate that food and they were, they became more fit than the rest of the young youths, the rest of the youths that were there. And what's interesting, um, verse 16 
says, so the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. Because even, it's interesting, even though the overseer saw that Daniel and his friends were more fit and better than the other young men, he didn't change the other young men's diet. He only changed theirs and kept giving them the vegetables. So that prepared them for when they ultimately met the king. Verse 20, and for as and as for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. And these young men were better, Daniel and his friends were better than not only the young men they were with, but also with all of the wise men. Which leads into the next section of where the king had a dream that he then forgot, or he could never, he could not remember. And so he went to his wise men to ask them to tell him both what the dream was and what it meant. And they couldn't tell him what the dream was because they didn't have that power. And Daniel says that later, that the that these wise men do not have the power to do this, nor does any man. But in the king's order to kill all the wise men because they were impotent, God showed Daniel the king's dream. And when Daniel, let's see, Verse 17 through 19 says, Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter, in order that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning the mystery, so that Daniel and his friends might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And then verse 19, Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. And then Daniel blessed the God of heaven with a a prayer that that follows from that. So, Daniel entreated the Lord to tell him what the dream was because he knew that he was doing God's will and he knew that God had placed him there for a reason and because Daniel relied on God for his wisdom, unlike the wise men who relied on their own understanding. So, in a way, Daniel saved the wise men by, uh, by doing that and by, uh, by revealing the dream, uh, even though the wise men weren't of God, but Daniel and his friends were. Verse 22, which talks of Daniel's prayer to the Lord or his blessing to the Lord, says, It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. I am about, I think, 15 days into my fasting for this month, and part of that fast is to discover an underlying fear, discover what that fear is and what I need to do about it. And I don't, I don't know what it is that is that is bothering me, and I haven't been able to figure it out yet. And this is similar to Daniel's plight here, that he didn't know what the king wanted, and he also didn't know the interpretation what to do about it. But Daniel relied on God, and so I am continuing to rely on God to see how He will answer me, if He will answer me, and when He will answer me. Verses 27 and 28 is Daniel's declaration to the king that says, Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. And then the first part of verse 28, which I loved when I read, However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. I love that verse. So Daniel goes through. He tells the king his dream of the head of gold and then the uh, the arms of silver, the belly and thighs of bronze, the legs of iron, and the feet of iron and clay. 
And my Bible actually has headings that say that Babylon is the first kingdom, Medo-Persia and Greece are the second and third kingdoms, and then Rome is the fourth kingdom. Now, Rome was in power during the time of Jesus, and that interpretation is very apparent in verse 44, which says, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever, and that is the kingdom of heaven. That is what Jesus came to earth to set up on earth, that if we will believe in him, then we will not be crushed because of our allegiance to the other kingdoms, but rather his kingdom will crush all of the others. It's an excellent demonstration of the power of God. So jumping ahead to Jesus Christ in chapters 7 and 8 of John. The first verse is verse 6, and this is something interesting I wanted to note throughout this chapter, where verse 6 is where the the, his disciples, uh, disciples of Jesus are saying, why don't you go out there and do your works in public be- so then people can see you? And Jesus says, my time is not yet at hand, but your time is always opportune. And then he goes on to say, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it, that its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourselves. I do not go up to this feast because my time has not yet fully come. What Jesus is saying here is that although it's not my time yet, I have a purpose that you do not know yet, or I have a purpose that is not at hand, but yours is. So an example of this or a parallel, a parallel of this is that if we are acting in the will of God and if we are following his word, we can always act. And if we rely on him to wait, then we can do good works in his name and can bring people to him. Although God is waiting for the time, and although we are waiting for the time when Jesus will return, we can trust in him and follow his commands and follow his words. And then there's the question of, I was talking about this with one of my friends on the the hall here at Liberty, God's influence versus man's free will and God's supreme will. God had set up a plan since the beginning of time that he would redeem his creation, the creation that hadn't fallen yet, and he would provide Jesus as the ultimate sacrifice and punish all evil. But how does that play into man's free will? Because if man has the the ability to choose what man will and to choose to be with God or be without God, then what will God do to change that? Or what will God do to affect that? I believe God does things in our world and in our universe that are miraculous and are outside of our understanding, as he has throughout the Bible. And I believe he does still continue to do so. And I don't know entirely if he directs man's choices in a way that a man cannot rebel against God. That if God calls a man today, or a man or a woman, if God calls someone today, then that person cannot resist God's call. I'm wondering if man can still resist the call of God, but be punished for it. And two verses that further this interpretation are verse 30, which says, They were seeking, therefore, to seize him, the Pharisees and the people around Jesus. And no man, no man laid his hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. This seems to imply that these people who were trying to restrain him were somehow unable to, or they couldn't because his hour hadn't come, because God's will was that they would not take Jesus. And this doesn't necessarily cut against man's free will, because there are other explanations of why they were not able to take him. One of these explanations is in verse 46, which in which the officers, 
this says verse 45, actually. The officers therefore came to the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, Never did a man speak the way this man speaks when they were confronted with the power of Jesus and with his, uh, with the truth of who he was and with his personage, they lost their inclination to arrest him. And although they originally wanted to take him, it was not yet Jesus' time. So Jesus influenced them to stop and to not arrest him. I need to do more study on this, and I will be doing some, hopefully some more study with some people on the hall, going back to Romans 9 and back to the idea of predestination and how much uh, choice we actually have in this world. But this is what I believe, that man can do what man wants to do, but there will be consequences, and only within our power that God has given to us. And if we subvert God's plan, there will be problems down the road. Verse 18 of John chapter 7 says, He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. Jesus is talking about if anyone else was speaking like I was, then we, I understand why you wouldn't trust him. Or rather, the Pharisees are saying, you're, you're speaking yourself out of your own ability. Uh, but Jesus is saying, whoever speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Jesus is saying, again, like the psalm was saying, I believe, that if we rely on God and his teaching and his truth and his law, we cannot be held blameless because we have an alibi, because we are not speaking from our own knowledge. And that's why I need to remember when I'm when I'm discussing matters of theology with people that I shouldn't rely on this is what I believe or this is what I think, but rather I read the Bible and the Bible says this. So this is what I believe, not my own knowledge, but God's knowledge imparted to me through the word. Verse 24 is where Jesus is talking about his healing on the Sabbath and how the Pharisees are frustrated at him for doing that. And it seems as though Jesus has a disdain for the Sabbath throughout these chapters, but the Sabbath was instituted by God and it must be good in some way. So Jesus is actually speaking of, about what Phil Lawler talked to me about in layers of ethics and that there is a moral standard or layers of spiritual ethics more rather, whereas there is a, um, there is a basis to respect the Sabbath and to not do work on the Sabbath, but it is more important to break that command. And I'm not, I'm not using this loosely. I'm saying what Jesus is saying here. It's more important to disregard that and to do something good what Jesus said to heal a man on the Sabbath, that is more important than doing absolutely nothing, doing no work on the Sabbath. I don't know how much this applies to other areas of um, of spirituality, but Jesus is saying it here. In verse 24, he says, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with the righteous judgment. And previously, verse 23 says, if a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath, that the law of Moses may not be broken, Are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? What Jesus is also doing here, he's he's saying, you Pharisees, you have your own system of ethics and what's more important to do on the Sabbath than something else, but you won't allow me to do that? That's hypocrisy. And Jesus was constantly exposing the hypocrisy of uh, of the Pharisees. Verse 27 says that where the Pharisees were saying, however, we do, we know where this man is from. But whenever the Christ may come, no one knows where he is from. They were asking if he was the Christ. Jesus then says in the next verse, You both know me and know where I'm from. And I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. 
So what Jesus is saying here is that either he is saying, you know me because I've said I'm from the Father, or you know me because you know I'm from Galilee. But I think he's saying the latter instead of the former, because in the next chapter, verse 14, it says, Jesus said, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. And that is what they are referring to in the previous chapter. If they don't know where the Messiah is from, they won't because the Messiah was from heaven and no one knows where heaven is. No one knows who comes from heaven except for Jesus and Jesus is from heaven. And so therefore Jesus is the Messiah because he is the one who they do not know where he came from and also because Jesus is Lord. And throughout these verses, I was very surprised to see in chapter 7 and 8 how many times Jesus actually referred to himself as uh, as as God in the flesh. And I didn't think that it was so pronounced throughout Jesus' teachings, but it really is. Verse 38, for example, says, He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And this is referencing the eventual coming of the Holy Spirit. And that... God's Spirit will be poured out on those who believe in Jesus Christ, the perfect trinity of God the Father sending Jesus to to testify about the Spirit so that when Jesus was glorified, the Spirit was sent on those who believed in him. It's really, it's really great. So then moving on to John chapter 8, verse 15, Jesus says, um, he is not judging anyone. Verse 15 says, you people judge according to the flesh. I am not judging anyone. Jesus in his teaching or in his in his coming, he came to save and he didn't necessarily come to judge. He does call out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, but Jesus' act of um, sacrifice, when he sacrificed himself on the cross, that was to reconcile all who would be judged to him. And so Jesus' actions weren't necessarily judging anyone. Like he said in verse 15, I am not judging anyone. And then the next verse says, But even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone in it, but I and he who sent me. And then the next verse says, Even in your law it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Jesus is using the parallel from their teachings that both he and the Father testify to him. But they don't know the Father. They haven't seen the Father. And so... Although Jesus' authority is true and that the Father has given testimony of Jesus, they still don't believe because they haven't seen the Father and they don't believe in Jesus, that Jesus is of the Father. And then Jesus says, he says this twice or several times in this chapter, verse 24, I said therefore to you that you shall die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. And I am he in the New American Standard Bible is said, there's a footnote here that says most authorities associate this with I am who I am from the book of Exodus. Jesus is using the name of God here to talk about himself, to say that he is God. It's, there's no, there's no argument that can be made that Jesus was a good teacher, but not the son of God because he claimed this. Anyone who says that doesn't know what Jesus said because Jesus claimed to be God multiple times. And this is one of them. Verse 34 talks about being a slave to sin, where Jesus says, I've come to set you free. And the Pharisees say, what? What do you mean? We we aren't bound by any captivity. And Jesus says, verse 34, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. Then he goes on, and the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. 
If therefore the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Jesus is again asserting his power that he is the only one who can set them free from the bondage of sin. Not their laws, not the old laws of the Old Testament that aren't working because man is not perfect, but because Jesus is perfect and because he is the only one who can release you fully from your sin and make you fully free. And we can take encouragement in that today, that we are free because we believe in Jesus. At least I do. Verse 42, verse 44 rather says, you are of your father, the devil, because he's saying, if you were, uh, if you were of the father, then you would know me and you would love me, but you're not because you're of your father, the devil going on. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Back in the beginning of the, um, or earlier on in the Bible reading, when the uh, when I read the passage of uh, the devil coming to tempt Jesus, um, the devil quoted scripture. And even though there's no truth in him, somehow he was still able to use truth as a deception. And in that way, that truth kind of became a falsehood because he was trying to tempt Jesus with it, which is why Jesus responded to him with scripture again, because there is all truth in Jesus. Jesus is truth. And therefore, any truth that Jesus would say to Satan is a strong rebuke to him. And going on in verse 44, whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Similarly, Jesus is saying his nature is sin and your nature, since you are children of the devil, your nature is sin as well. This is further proof that man without God is depraved. And although man can sometimes go against his sin nature and understand layers of morality because of what God has presented and the invisible attributes of God made known, man can never truly be good and be saved without God. And only in Jesus can man find that redemption. Going on to verse 54, Jesus, uh, they're talking about, the Pharisees are telling Jesus, what, you're just trying to get attention for yourself. And are you saying you're, you're greater than the prophets? We know that you have a demon now because you can, you're not making sense. And Jesus says in verse 54, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. And eventually Jesus will, Jesus would be ultimately glorified by God in his resurrection and his, in his ascension to the right hand of the father. And verse 58 is the most powerful declaration in this, um, in these chapters of Jesus' divinity, where Jesus talks about Abraham, or let's actually, let me read this verse 56 to 50, 58. Uh, Jesus says, your father, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. Verse 57, the Jews therefore said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham. Verse 58, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was born, I am. And that same Jesus who said that to the Pharisees and who sacrificed himself and who we can believe in, who sacrificed himself for us, that same Jesus loves us and wants us to be in relationship with him. And like the psalmist wrote, we need to follow God's laws and we need to follow God's truth and to understand what God wants us to do. And part of that is through Jesus Christ. All of that is through Jesus Christ because we can't do it on our own. We'd mess it up. But through God, we can never mess it up. We cannot go against God's eternal plan for our lives if we are conformed to his plan. 
sure, if we if we disobey God, I believe that there will be consequences. And that if we go against his plan and what his will is, we are not going to stop the will of God, but we will be punished. But if we follow the will of God, we will be rewarded and God will give us that eternal life if we trust in Jesus Christ and the eternal life that he has promised to us and we can be a part of his plan by trusting in him. That's all I got for today. Thank you for listening. And if you're if you're praying at, at this at this time, I I still appreciate it very very much. And if you have any prayers you would like me to um, to be praying for, I I pray for whatever you put in the chat or whatever or the comments or whatever you ask. Um, just let me know, and we can we can keep praying over the the rest of this month. Uh, it's about about halfway through. What for day fourteen is the the second day here, so. Uh, almost halfway through the series, and I will certainly keep reading this month. Thank you all, and I will talk to you tomorrow.